Welcome back to another edition of the Bluminati Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond, alongside me as always, Seth Farndor and Robert Stieg. We've got a jam-packed episode of the show this evening. Uh, I want to shout out Home Field Apparel. Uh, they had a great Black Friday through Cyber Monday sale. Guys, if you haven't used them yet, first time users still getting 15% off with the code Daily Stampede at homefieldapparel.com. Some of the most comfortable shirts I've ever owned in my entire life. I think Samantha uh, has worn my shirts of mine uh, from home field more than I have. Um, she's a thief where I'm, I'm talking with the authorities about uh, pressing charges, uh, see if they will stick, see if it will cost me more in the long run than just to kind of let her get away with this. Uh, but I mean, Homefield has been a great partner for us, and they're, they're going to be a partner for us uh, through the end of basketball season. So, huge shout out to them, uh, Steve, Seth. You guys both have Homefield shirts that are very, very comfortable, right? I got this one that I always keep on me. Uh, it is my Homefield uh, D two rep, uh, Colorado School of the Mines. Uh, we got we got Blaster Burrow there. Uh, giving a little howdy folks. Uh, that's my go-to. I keep it on my chair 24 seven, 365 in case I get a little chilly in the apartment. It's, uh, it's comfortable. Keeps me nice and warm. What more could I ask for? Keeps that thing on them all at all times. <laughs> all time. Yeah. Great shirts. Uh, awesome. Uh, not only are they soft, but the designs on the shirt are excellent. Uh, if you don't, if you're looking for something outside of USF, why would you? But if you were, there's all kinds of great schools and all kinds of animal mascots and all kinds of fun stuff to look for on there. So it's a great, great website and a great partner. Absolutely. And shout out to them forever and always. Let's just jump right into it. Uh, since we last spoke uh, last Thursday, I believe USF uh, hired a defensive coordinator, Bob Shoup, who's been uh Everywhere for a spell. Uh, some some would call that, uh, you know, journeyman. Some would say that's not a great thing. But if you're kind of looking back at where he's been the last few years, it kind of makes a little bit of sense why he's been kind of bouncing around. And we'll just go from what? The end of 2015, he was – I mean, he's been a D.C. For, for years, but he was at Penn State for two years, 14 and 15, uh, and then went to Tennessee for 16 and 17. And that was, if you guys may recall, at the end of, of the Butch uh, Jones uh, experience in, in, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee there. Uh, so it wasn't, wasn't great. And then in 18 and 19 – uh, probably had his, I would say his his best years. Maybe maybe his couple coupled his best couple years with uh, Mississippi State under Joe Moorhead. Uh, it was only two years there because uh, Joe Moorhead Moore, got fired. Joe Moorhead got fired, uh, and, and not really based on anything except fit. It, it was a fit issue um, that didn't pan out. Um, I they won that. Egg Bowl season, right? Like they won because of the Elijah Moore, yeah, the P, yeah. So, so yeah, because that Mississippi or Ole Miss could have kicked the extra point to tie it. The penalty pushed it back, and the kid missed it. I'm pretty yeah, sure that's what happened. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's yep. what happened. So, 
uh, you know, it's just some some rotten luck on, on that regard. And he spent the year at Michigan, the pandemic year, and then was a defensive analyst at Miami in 2021 under uh, under Manny Diaz. Uh, so I get the trepidation. Um, I think the biggest thing for for me is he, he likes to scheme around his personnel, which was. Uh, Maybe an issue under former defensive coordinator Glenn Spencer. Uh, Seth, I'll open the floor to you. Thoughts, you know, on on the surface, what his hire can be, and kind of what you have seen from him. Uh, you know, watching SEC football for you know a while. Uh, if I remember correctly, he's uh, he's pretty aggressive. Um, not afraid to get up in your face. I know that Mississippi State defense he had was really, really good. They also had three first-round picks. So I've seen some people say he took a Mississippi State defense. They don't have anybody. They had three first-round picks on the defense. So they were pretty good. But to his uh, credit, he used those guys really well, and they were probably the best defense in the country, and they were by a bunch of metrics. So that's good. I I think um, what's interesting about him – Obviously, the fact that he's bounced around a little bit, but you know, it like you said, there is some, uh, you know, some extenuating circumstances. Like he went to Penn State because he traveled, I think, with Franklin from Vanderbilt. So it was at Vanderbilt before. Then he went within Penn State, then got uh, probably a little bit more money, maybe at Tennessee, left, uh, and then you, as you detail kind of what happened from there. But you know, he's had successful defenses at every stop. It's not like he's been fired for having really bad defenses. I don't think that's really been the case anywhere. I know he was on the staff in Michigan and they ended up firing, but he wasn't calling the defense. He was part of the staff, but, and whatever happened there. But, um, but I, everywhere he's been calling plays, they've had success. And typically I think pretty early in his tenure. So if he can kind of get in there with this influx of talent that I'm sure we're going to talk about um, and, and the guys that are coming back next year and, and put something good on the field immediately, that's probably what Jeff Scott was looking for. He needs a kind of an immediate upgrade, somebody that can hit the ground running, that's done it before, and ha- and not just done you know calling plays, but has come into new places and put stuff in quickly for immediate success. I, I think that that makes a little bit of sense, even though the name kind of came out of left field a little bit. Absolutely, and I think you, you kind of hit it right there. Hit the ground running, and you know, Jeff Scott acknowledged after the central Florida game, like he, he doesn't have a lifetime contract here. He needs to start, start winning, you know, relatively soon. And I think this 2022 season is going to set up for them to, I, I think they're going to make a bowl game. I think their talent there, the people that they're bringing in, we'll get into the recruiting uh, of, of this 2022 cycle. That's um, been transfer heavy as we suspected. And it, it looks like they're hitting on some guys that they need and they're hitting the positions that they need, but they need someone a steady hand, and I don't think Jeff Scott could really risk it uh, with a guy like Danny Verpale or, or James Rowe, which makes sense, right? I mean, you, you don't want to – it could be – it's not – it's tough to say that this is a you-need-to-win season, but you need to show a, a lot of improvement from, you know, two wins season. So it's really, you know, I completely understand Jeff Scott kind of being in this rock and a hard place kind of situation where you're like, shit, man, I, I really need to put something productive on the field. Do I really want to leave it up to a guy who's never called plays at the FBS level? 
do I want to rely that portion of my job security on someone that I'm not sure about? So I completely get that. And I understand, I think Danny Verpale was actually named uh, to the AFCA uh, top 35 under 35 list uh, yesterday or, or today. So it, it, there, I get the both schools of thought, you know, the up and coming guy, get bringing the guy back home either with James Rowe or, or for pale, but I definitely understand why Jeff Scott went the, the veteran leadership route because it's still a pretty young staff uh, regardless of who you're bringing in. Uh, so maybe to have a, a veteran leadership, so to speak on the defensive side of the ball makes a lot of sense. Steve, I know you've kind of expressed some uh, concerns would probably be the kind thing. And then it wanted to give you a, you know, a platform to, to share it and, you know, bounce, bounce your thoughts and maybe we can talk through it or, you know, maybe highlight it uh, even more if it makes a little bit more sense than, uh, than originally thought. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, to, to put it bluntly, I, I, I think Shoop has obviously a fantastic resume. You know, when I when it was finally kind of on the hot board uh, that Will Turner posted on two four seven, um, you know, I, I I took a first off, I thought it said Bob Stoops at first, um, which I was like, oh shit, really, we're we're doing this. Um, but when I when I reread it and then I I looked into who he was, I mean, the first concern that people would normally have just on surface level was you know the you know the amount of jobs that he's had, and then you kind of look into the who, the what, the when, there, and why he, it happened you can kind of understand as we mentioned why you know he went from basically six different jobs in eight years which is a concerning statistic but when you see the success that he's had basically everywhere that he's gone minus the butch jones uh you know two seasons there you know his resume definitely does back up the the biggest concern that i i have is you know the odd kind of path that he took after the michigan um, you know, stint that he had there. And I, I kind of mentioned it that, you know, uh, listen, it was the COVID year. There was a lot of weird stuff happening. He's what, like 50 years old. Like he's an older guy. He's probably a little bit more at risk than, you know, your, your average coaching staff. And, you know, he, he kind of just disappeared out of, out of Ann Arbor. You know, I, I think like about two or three weeks into the season, um, someone asked like, Hey, you know, we're, <laughs> where's coach shoot at? He was a safeties coach. He's not on the field anymore. Like what, what's he up to? And they kind of said like, Oh, he's, he's tending to personal matters. Um, you know, he's no longer doing on field duties. Uh, he's still performing off field duties, uh, such as recruiting and, and, you know, schemes and everything like that. But, you know, he went from, you know, a guy that Michigan was very excited about hiring. And there was a lot of, you know, good, vibes coming you know out of, out of that mississippi state defense that was just absolutely daunting from 2018 and 2019 you know he was kind of poised to come in as a safeties coach really focus on fixing that michigan secondary and then kind of disappeared after three weeks so that and then coupled with becoming a defensive analyst now defensive analysts in the acc and the sec like those guys are you know your defensive analysts that happen to find their way into those programs they're good like it happens at Alabama all the time. It happens at Florida state all the time. It happens in Florida. Like these analysts aren't analysts. These are coaches who are just not wanting to have the pressure of being an on the field coach for a little bit, still want to be around the game and, and, you know, still work. And, you know, there was again, a lot of excitement out of Miami 
that, you know, they were bringing in a defensive analyst like Bob Shoup. Like he had a lot of experience. And for the most part, Miami's defense wasn't, I mean, wasn't God awful this year. It obviously ended up with Manny Diaz and the entire coaching staff getting upended by Mario Cristobal. But, you know, there was some talks of keeping Bob Shoup and making him the defensive coordinator at Miami. And even then at, at, you know, once Drew Moorhead got fired out of uh, Mississippi state, there was some talk from players that wanted him to become the head coach. Obviously it didn't happen. Um, You know, they bring in a crazy guy like Mike Leach instead. So I, I don't know. There was some concerns about the path that he's taken, the amount of times he's bounced around from job to job. But at the end of the day, Coach Scott knows that these assistant coaches are never going to be set in stone. Someone's always going to find greener pastures somewhere, especially when the team finds success. And he knows that he's very much aware. He said it, I think in like his first like six weeks of taking the job, he's like, yeah, this is my first coaching staff. I'm probably going to have to do this like 15 more times, just hiring new guys and new guys over and over again. And if, if Bob Shoup is here, fixes the defense and, and gets a new job at, Arkansas, I don't know. So be it. They'll probably find they'll probably you know find a way to get Verpe or Vapel or Rowe or maybe they'll promote Sims. Who knows? I, I'm not going to put too much stock in the future of what Bob Shoup is going to do. I just know right now if he if we needed someone to come in, make this defense more aggressive, get more sacks, get more tackles for a loss, and be in your face, this is the hire that they had to make. This is the guy that they should have gotten after, and they did. Yeah, uh, I completely agree there, Stegan. And I will say, you know, kind of doing some work on, on my own, kind of uncovering, you know, w- what happened at Michigan. All I know is from people who've been around the program is he was a bit of a dickhead and got phased out. Yeah, I, I was going to say it could be, could this just all these short stints be all personality driven? <laughs> You know, it could be. And, you know, uh, you know, we, we've talked about how, you know, defensive guys, they need to be a little bit different. Like they I mean, obviously, if you're playing defense and you're hitting like you're already a little there's a screw loose already. But for defensive coaches, at least, uh, you know, the Tom Allen, like high intensity kind of in your face, but not crossing that line. It's a really it's a really tough thing to do. And sometimes coaches just kind of wear out their welcome. And that makes a, a lot of sense when you look at what has happened. And as you know, it's, I know he, he was a head coach at Columbia for four seasons. I know it's a, or three seasons. I know it's in the Ivy league, but that's interesting after all of these different stops where he's actually had success, he never really came up in conversation for another head coaching job. I'm not saying it's, it could just be a personality thing and you kind of wear out your welcome, but you leave a lot of these places in better shape than where you started. And that's, that is fine. If this is just another feather in his cap, if he's the fixer that it's perfectly fine. But I think we need to be able to present everything, right? We don't want to, we're not running PR for USF, uh, even though some people may think we do, but we need to be able to present uh, everything in, in all, you know, the warts and all of everything that's kind of comes with this hire. And the Michigan thing definitely does stand out as a, uh, let's see what's going on here first before, you know, anything happens. And I, I fully trust Michael Kelly and, and Jeff Scott that they did their due diligence on this. I mean, he left Penn state 
he got fired, forced out. There was a lawsuit, a countersuit, and they settled. Uh, so, I mean, he, he left Penn State in not great terms, um, you know, after coming over with Je- with James Franklin from Vanderbilt. So it's it's a delicate balance, and it's, it's something that we're going to need to, I wouldn't say keep a close eye on, but understand, you know, turn over some of these rocks and make sure that, you know, everything's on their P's and Q's and we're not kind of brushing anything to under the rug that would not look great on the university's behalf. And I don't think there is anything that really screams out, Oh man, this was a really bad hire. I think it may just be a personality thing and maybe it works for a year and you, you, you see it, with uh, hockey coaches, see it with soccer coaches and in the, in the pros, like you, you can get really, really hot under one coach and then for one season, season and a half, and then you just kind of tune them out because, you know, their style, it wears on you. And I think John Tortorella is probably a really good example in the NHL where he's an intense dude and it works for a while, but then it kind of gets old and it gets frustrating and you've got to get a new voice in there. So I understand that. So that's uh, been the rap for like Todd Grant though. Right. That he's great. The first year he's a new voice. He's great. And then the second year it's all right. And then the third year they're like, okay, I'm tired of this guy yelling at me. Then the fourth year they're like, all right, we're going to be firing this. And that's just how some guys are. He's like the wolf from Pulp Fiction. He just comes in. He's going to come in and fit, do a quick fix, and then he'll be out. Listen, um, that's all he's got to do. <laughs> I, think, and right. I think that is a consideration. If he comes in, kind of provides some stability for the defense, you know, if it's a guy like, uh, you know, if Ernie Sims did a great job in, in the UCF game and you feel good about him, but you're not quite ready, well, maybe now get a, give him a different, a different defense to learn, a different mentor, and maybe when by the time Shoop's ready to leave, or they're ready for him to leave. Now he's ready to promote, which you may have to do to keep him from going and being a coach at some other schools because he mm-hmm. seems like he's going to be a hot commodity. So that could be part of the thinking too. I think they would, with any of the guys, it, it sounded like we're up for it. Um, I thought the two, uh, Verpel and Rowe were both would have been good hires. Him coming in here, I think it's a good hire and he may just be kind of grooming Sims to kind of take over. So, right. Uh, and Bill, man, we're, we're going to try our best to, to talk you off the ledge. Uh, I assure you that between now and September 3rd, 2022, we're going to do our best to really uh, hammer just stuff down that optimism. But listen, if USF's defense wasn't absolutely god awful atrocious and they were just bad, they win five games this year. No All doubt in my takes. mind. So, right, like, I mean, the offense sputtered in in spots, in spurts, uh, but the, if they just had just a, a bad defense, and I'm not talking, you know, 85 Bears, I'm, I'm not talking, you know, the first half of 2017 defense or the 15 defense, right? It, just bad. If you're just bad, you win five games. I I'm adamant that if we had a compliment defense – we may upset Cincinnati. Like it's, if they get possible. if they get w- one or two stops, like we're we're in it in that game. <laughs> like that's all they that's all they have to do is and like if if he comes in and takes us from number one twenty eight to 
fucking like a hundred. I'll, t- I'll take a hundred. I think. You, <laughs> I think you may win five at four games if you just go from a uh, hundred twenty eighth to one hundred. We're not asking to break triple digits here. And, and he cashes that check. It says, "Fuck y'all, I'm out." Like, great. <laughs> like, thanks, thanks for the help in getting us out of the Glenn Spencer mess. And like. I mean, we can harp on it all day. We'll probably harp on it all season. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he brings uh, in the spring, and I, I think that's refreshing because uh, yeah. I felt like with Glenn Spencer, it was kind of like, ah, well, yeah, let's let's see how many times we can blitz, you know, or we can rush three and get you know pressure and see if that can work. But you know, right. ultimately, it's just you know, let's see what they come up with, and you know. Defensive coordinators are either dickheads or crackheads, and and we stumbled upon the dickhead. Uh, higher, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> that's that's okay. extreme. <laughs> it's one or the other. Is that it? There's no in yeah, between. There is. I mean, it, it, there is very little successful defensive coordinators in between. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. If that, I don't know how scientific that is. <laughs> There's either dickheads, excessive sweaters, or crackheads. I think that's yes. That, those are the three <laughs> options. Oh, Lord. oh God, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, I will say this uh, for for Bob Shoup here, and I think it was in 2018. He, he kind of gave the interview uh, at when he got to Mississippi State that he uses the spring ball, those 15 practices during spring, to figure out what his personnel is. And that's that's what we talked about at the top here. Uh, he fits his scheme around the personnel. So he wants to be able to see, uh, at least this is what he said when, uh, when he took the Mississippi State job, was I want to be able to see – what my guys can do, see if they can do three or four things. Each player can do three or four things positively and then just put them in the best position to succeed. And that's what you want to hear because that's not what happened for the last two years under Glenn Spencer. It was, this is the system, figure it out yourself. And they also may be bringing in a whole new starting defense through the transfer portal, it seems like. I mean, (laughs) that's also going to probably be helpful that your depth is going to be so much better because you may have guys that were starting for you last year that are that are backups now, and um, it, it seems like that will be helpful too. But um, you know, you know, I think what might what he might want to do before spring practice, just in case something crazy happens, watch the film from the previous year. <laughs> just, just in case, just in case, you might want to do that. It'll help. I, I thought that was a joke, and he's sticking to those guns that he did not watch the film. I mean, well, good. I that? mean, <laughs> lie, to on you, Jeff. lie to the players, but do it. I mean, you can't not watch the film. Holy cow. But I, the biggest blessing that you know coach scott ever had was not watching that film because good god that was going to be terrible no, and that was horrible dumb. but like i that mean for his own mental sake but like <laughs> also like damn dude you hey, should, we we really should have known we that had, like we had to watch it <laughs> well, I mean, watch the Luma 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 film room. when spring when the spring got canceled i may cut on a couple games or two <laughs> i mean come on dude like, just uh, to see just to see what i'm working with if i don't have a spring at least uh yeah, okay. Well, like, if you don't, I don't know what you're doing. If you don't watch the film, then yeah, you know, I, I already coached. I didn't know what kind of players I had. All right, I mean, that's the first time a rookie mistake. 
but oh my lord, you know, it, you the thought, that line by now. The, the thought was there. I appreciate the thought. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Line, just line the players. tell the players you didn't watch it and be like, oh my gosh, we've got to, yeah. get some, we've got to get gotta, some more guys in the just, portal. Yeah, you just got to be really mindful. Like when you get pissed off at them, like, well, I saw the game in 2019. You can't bring it up. Like, what are you talking about, coach? I thought you said you didn't watch the film. Ball, oh, shit. Ball, I forgot. Ball. My bad. My bad. Um, <laughs> Before, because you kind of mentioned the, the recruiting and, and bringing in a whole slew of guys, I do want to at least say this for, for the coaching aspect, which will lead into recruiting. It looks like for now, and I repeat, for now, USF has dodged a bullet of someone poaching Ernie Sims because Florida State hired Randy Shannon as their linebackers coach. He just needs – he's got to punch off USF on his ticket, and he's got everybody in the state of Florida, I think. <laughs> and uh, three, I, uh foot-long sub. Yeah, and it's – oh, man. I was – so my my brother, uh, his best friend, um, her wife – or her husband is a huge Florida State fan, and, and we will talk, you know, about football. And he sent me a message. Uh, he was like, so what are your thoughts on Ernie Sims as a coach and recruiter? And I, I just I sent him one where I said terrible, and then parentheses I put saying this to protect my feelings when he leaves. <laughs> He's like, oh good, I just really want a good recruiter. Uh, our last guy was a decent coach, but terrible on the trail. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be annoyed when he leaves. Uh, I, I really think what, what Ernie Sims did in five days uh, for the Central Florida game is not going to be uh, not going to be forgotten by a lot of people. Um, just what he was able to do. And he's like, he's like, man, you don't have to worry about it. It looks like we've hired Randy Shannon. He goes, anytime you can promote a 55 year old retread who hasn't been part of a good defense in a deep in a decade, you have to do it. Easy. Yeah, it's an easy decision. He's got recruiting ties down to Miami. Come on. <laughs> exactly. It really helped him at central Florida. Are they still really using that line Miami. for him? I feel like, I feel like we've, People have said the same thing about Randy Shannon being a good recruit out of Miami for the past like eight years. You know and what, like though? he hasn't recruited a kid out of Miami in like 10 years. You know what? Though? I went and saw Randy Shannon speak at a coach's clinic when I was still playing. My brother was coaching. I just like, I want to go and hear him. And I heard him talk at a coach's clinic. They had the whole Miami defense. And that was, that had to be probably 2006, maybe. He was good. He was on it. Now, that was a long time ago and the game's changed a little bit, but. He was good. He was. He was. He's been a good coach in the past, but he's uh, kind of bouncing around now. Yeah. So at least it seems for now that we've dodged that bullet because Ernie Sims is a, a freaking dude, and uh, at praying for redemption. Players love Sims. Yeah, I mean it shows. I think and he's, maybe he's like DC and waiting. It. You know what? Maybe, and I think Steve, you said it. At, at, when we were discussing shoot it, grooming, grooming Sims to be the, the next guy, the guy um, it, it's a real distinct possibility because it, Ernie Sims has got a bright future and what he's been able to accomplish it, just getting into the coaching profession, going from, you know, what an analyst, a GA to a position coach to being able to call a game within like three years is it's damn impressive. And not a lot of people are able to, to pull that off. So, so kudos to him. And uh, let's, let's get into recruiting. There's been, uh, there's been some scuttlebutt. There's been some commitments. There's been some controversy. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts as we're what one week, right? It's the 15th, right? Yeah. One week. 
one week away from early signing day, and it could be one of the last early signing days if, uh, you know, some of the coaches in, in the NCAA, you know, kind of get their way. And it makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, this absolute tangent, right, is it was good in theory, the early signing period. But with the amount of movement that has happened, it's not those transition year classes have been kind of a bust for a lot of schools. Uh, if you look and, back and <laughs> if you look at Florida right now, they're just don't even care. They're hemorrhaging. They don't, he just doesn't care. He's like, I'm going to, I think he's telling guys, I uh, get, I want to get to know you. You need to get to know me. Wait till a late signing period. And everyone's like, no, we're not doing this. Like, all right, see ya. Cause he knows it doesn't, this first one doesn't really matter. Um, I'm interesting. Uh, I'm interested in the proposal that some people said move it the first one to August, move it before the season. That's something I've thought and I thought would be good for the kids that know where they're going to go to let them just get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's ways to do that already. You can sign like uh, uh, you can sign aids or whatever. Yeah, you can do it already technically, but I think a lot of the kids are just more. You know, the kids that are qualified and ready to go and know where they want to go, let them sign. And then if a coach gets fired, let them out of it. And, or a coach leaves, let them out of it. And I think that would make everything so much easier. So, uh, but yeah, it seems like it's going to move because it's just making it's so detrimental. Mm-hmm. If you, a coach leaves, you have to fire a coach, you're basically done. So, yeah. I mean, you guys, that 2019 class is uh, not, not ideal. Broken. It's not ideal, but it, there there will be some pieces. But uh, you know, looking back at Charlie's first year, that transition class uh, between Willie's final recruiting season in 2016 to that 2017 class, not a lot of impact players in that 2017 class still on the roster. Uh, so it's in theory, it was supposed to work really well, and it you don't know what you don't know, and you know people didn't know how this would affect you know teams who are firing coaches who are, you know, coaches are leaving for better jobs. And now there, I think there's enough data points to suggest maybe we need to move it back, maybe do an August and February thing, as, as you mentioned there, Seth, uh, or maybe just move it to, you know, to Jan- before. January or something. Like I, yeah. I've, I've heard January is just the, you know, move up the February signing period to January and just have it. That's it. And call it a day. I, I get the schools of thought here for, for both, but um, I, I love the early, early signing period. Cause you're kind of, these guys are locked in, but also you get these guys to sign and then there's still coaching movement well into January. So you're yeah. like, well, shit, you know, Tom Allen didn't leave until January of uh, 16. So it, it's really, it's really tough to, for these kids who sign like, uh, okay, my position coach is going to be here. My head coach is going to be here. And then they're not there when, you know, January workouts start and you're like, well, now, now I'm stuck. And, you know, you can preach all you want about players, not com- commit to a school, not to a coach, but you're not, you're not building a relationship with the, 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 you know, the mass comm building. No, like, no, one. Can, everybody has everything. It's, it's the personal relationships that you're building with these coaches. And it, it's really tough to just rip away the coach that you've talked to probably every day for a year, you know, outside the dead periods. And and uh, <laughs> right and and then he's like, all right, well, you still have to play at this school, even though the guy that you've you've been talking to for the last year is gone. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. It's it's a tough sell for any 18, 17 year old kid to, to do that. But let's transition into 
this 2022 class. We, we're a week away. Steve, there's been a lot of movement already. Uh, USF is already number one in something. Give us uh, – yeah, here we go. Larry D, how much stake do you put into the 24-7 listing of the pools as the number one transfer class? Um, let's let's open the floor. Right now, um, it, this was the first iteration of it, and obviously we're still in the early stages of, of the transfer season, right? You, there's still, what, 84 teams that are going to be playing in a bowl game. Um, so you still have to take into account the attrition that you're going to see. You're going to see probably more attrition after those games. There are some guys who probably want to get a little bit more last second film, uh, potentially, um, you know, in a bowl game or something like that. So, you know, it, it, the way I take recruiting rankings is, yeah, I mean, they're nice to look at uh, during the, during the season, but until, you know, ink hits paper and paper gets put into a fax machine and then, you know, you dust it off in the old office. I don't really take much stock into it until it's all final. Um, I think it's a really good sign of Jeff Scott's mantra of, you know, get these guys early and get them set. Uh, that's the biggest thing for Jeff Scott. And that's his big philosophy is when you're ready, let's get it done. Let's commit. Let's, you know, not fuck around and not, you know, court other offers or anything like that. It's just you and me you know, very monogamous relationship kind of status. So I think it's good to get, you know, early, the number one class. I think that's going to pay its dividends. I don't suspect that they're going to stay number one, but they'll stay in like the top 25 most likely because they got some good talent coming into the program right now. You know, there's still some hot names that are going to, you know, sway the rankings quite a bit. The biggest one is going to be Miles Frazier, the offensive tackle from uh, FIU. If you have not seen his name, I don't know who you follow on Twitter because that guy has picked up an offer from quite literally every Power 5 program at this point. Um, he is an All-American, our first-team All-American offensive line, and you know he's, he, he's making his way. So I think right now USF is doing the, the smart thing, which is putting themselves in win-now mode and getting these guys who have had experience in Division One programs are plug-and-play and are ready to go. Because if, if they were, say, number one in, like, the American for just, you know, high school recruiting, most of those high school recruits aren't going to play in their freshman year. It happens every single year. And, you know, we, we saw a lot of guys who, you know, came in really hot in the 2021 class. You know, the be- biggest example was Jordan Blackman. He's a guy that, you know, was being courted by SEC schools and ACC schools and Big Ten schools and, you know, he had all the offers that you could have asked for, but we don't see him on the field because he's not ready. He's still, you know, got to work out in the weight room, got to get some size, got to grow, got to learn and everything. But when you bring a guy in like Clyde Pender, like Amaris Brown, like James Ash and Nick Bags, these guys that have been in programs, been in Division One weight rooms and are ready to go and hungry, that's where you're going to get your dividends from. And I think that's, you know, the, SMU did something similar like three or four years ago. I would be shocked if they didn't have like the number one transfer class like two years ago or something when they uh, took Tanner Mordecai. Um, so, you know, all power to them. This is the way that USF is going to start succeeding is, is by, you know, going all in on the transfer portal. You got the free year, this one-time eligibility waiver is still good to go. You abuse the shit out of that because next year and the year after, you're not going to get that leniency. You're going to have to have those guys sit. So you're going to have to, you know, re- recoup in the uh, in the high school or the JUCO circuit. So 
I'm I love what they've done. This this could not have been better. Uh, start and they're not done by any stretch of the imagination either. They brought in they brought in some really good players, but isn't them being number one a function of quantity too? Yes, they brought in yes. so many more than it's not like that's what I don't want people to get too. I think they're bringing in a bunch of good players, but don't get crazy overexcited. Part of it is because right. there's like seven or eight of them, right? It's like oh, there's a yes. lot. I think, I think that's basically, yeah. yeah. And I mean, if you look, I think USF brought in six and, and they have 27 points or however it really kind of shakes out. Yeah. Um, and then I think Michigan state has brought in two and they're at like 21 points, yeah. something like that. And the, the transfer rating discrepancy is like USF's average commit is like around a 0.81 and Michigan State's two is like around a 0.89 so you really it's the same it's the same thing with with high school recruiting like you you see these guys a lot of teams uh you know even within the American they'll sign big classes and they'll have higher points which is where you'll get the higher rating you know I think USF's been kind of hit with this as well where they're, they're not as high up, but if you actually look at the average star rating, it's higher than what their point total is. So you've got to really, you know, context matters in, in all cases. And this is another one. I think they're bringing in a lot of impact players yeah. for this 2022 season, but don't get caught up Oh, uh, about the, no, raw, the, the raw number. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something uh, to, to be mindful of as well. And uh, Steve, to your point, I, I think it was Jamie in Slack who basically said, yeah, the last time a, a school brought in 12 impact freshman players will be the first time. And and it's it's right. And this 2021 class that we brought in or 2020, whatever, 2021 class that we brought in, four of the 17 high school guys saw action. Now, I get you got Tim McLean. And and Jimmy Horn out of it, but the, the other the other two uh, was uh, Jalen Herring, who saw limited action, and Andrew Stokes. So it, it, there's a real you know you're not you're not going to see a bunch of freshman guys see the playing field in, in on a winning team. How many freshmen play for Alabama? Like true freshmen play for Alabama. <laughs> Like think about it. Like, like how many? It ain't many. It's not ten. There's not ten starting true freshmen Alabama. You know what I mean? Like it's there. You're not going to get that many guys that can come in and play right away. But going to get grown men, that usually helps. Yeah. Um, right. And then I think are the transfer because we have a, we have a comment about um, the rating transfer rating. They're different, yeah. right? They're set. They're kind of a separate thing. They re rank yeah. them from where they're at high school. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it last year with some guys, right. some the big name guys that transferred. They kind of re-ranked them, and it makes a lot of sense to do that, right, Steve? For, for my understanding, at least, or, or my thought, maybe it's not the 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 right thought. Is you're transferring for a reason? Either you're getting better, or you're getting worse. You're not staying the same. So I get a lot of these guys maybe drop in ranking because well, they're transferring out for some some reason. They didn't either. They haven't seen the field other issues um so yeah that's going to affect their their transfer rating especially if the the last time you've really put any game film on is your senior year of high school so it's really tough to kind of judge these guys based on you know two years ago when they were you know eating pop tarts for breakfast instead of you know actually having like a, a real meal for breakfast in college so it's really tough to 
delineate between the two. Right. Yeah. And that, I think that's the biggest thing. And it was one of those things that we've been, I, I mean, I've been clamoring to, to Will Turner about for basically a year and a half is, you know, I want there to be a way that we can recognize, you know, these transfers in each class, but not necessarily going off their high school ratings. We all know a four star out of high school and a five star out of high school that, you know, goes to a program, you know, plays a little bit and then goes to what we would assume to be a power five program and then doesn't play well. Usually they're no longer that four star, five star rating that we all thought they would be. You know, but there is those intangible things that you can still kind of harp on when you say, hey, we took a four star in Clyde Pender. That's really good. He was really good out of high school at doing this. He went to a division one weight room. He didn't get the the right playing time. And, you know, no credit to to UNC and Mac Brown for how they try to utilize Clyde Pender this past year. But, you know, that's that stuff you got to take into account is, you know, typically when we do and this goes across the board in group of five. Typically, when you do get a power five to group of five transfer, it's usually because that player did not hit those expectations that they had at that previous stop. You know, and and I think someone brought up, you know, Stacey Kirby as an example. You know, when you look at Stacey Kirby's numbers for the four years he was here, he had pretty all right numbers. You know, he, you know, got a few sacks here and there. He probably had better numbers than uh, than Clyde Pender did in his two seasons at UNC. But you have to take that into account when you go into the transfer portal like hey Stacy Kirby has 12 sacks and 13 tackles for loss like this guy could be an asset to, to a team so you know I, I do appreciate the fact that we have rankings and we can actually start to recognize these transfers as you know recruiting classes but again it, it's so arbitrary and and especially with three star like I don't know who they have ranked as like a five star I think it's still Quinn Ewers um the quarterback from Ohio State I don't know how you can categorize these transfers as anything other than like you know a three star or a five star really like if you're a four star that's just like a fringe thing at this point um yeah and i think overall right now uh and you know i think you're you're harping on it as well which is what i was gonna get at um the pro football focus uh ratings um those are gonna be kind of you know probably more true for the matter um you know, I think you can ignore certain intangible qualities, but you know you can't really get rid of game focus like that. So I, I, I think that, I, I think the way that they're doing it is good. I don't believe in pro football focus. <laughs> I do. They don't know what they don't know what they're running. How can you grade somebody if you don't know what they're running? It's it's really tough. I did. I I was one of the charters for PFF for like two months. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done and trying to get it right uh, without knowing, as Seth, you mentioned what they're running. It's really, really tough. Um, um, sorry. One more thing before I forget. Yep. Uh, Scott's bringing it up and it's a good point. Um, the the big part about getting these guys like James Ash and Clyde Pender and Amaris Brown to come back to USF is not just for their impact on the field and the plug and play, but you are going to be damned to know that any high profile recruit in the 10th Bay area that goes on an official visit with USF and has to stay at USF's campus is going to be staying with Clyde Pender, James Ash and Amaris Brown and all these guys from the 10th Bay area that they recruited initially, because to have that kind of conversation with someone saying like, Hey, I got 
I got wooed by that power five interest. My name's Clyde Pender. Uh, I went to UNC when I was promised to get, you know, playing time my freshman year, which is what they're probably going to tell these, you know, high school seniors. I didn't get it. I was lied to. And so having those guys around the program right now is going to pay its dividends. And if we can get KJ sales to come back and be a mentor on this program as well, and maybe a, a, a speaker for the team uh, for high school recruiting, that'd be even better. Cause you know, it, I do agree. And we got into a little Twitter spat about it earlier. You know, I wish USF would be able to kind of like, you know, rope off the Tampa Bay area, but that's impossible right now. It is literally impossible for them to just offer all this top talent and be able to fill a class. They would have maybe four guys this year out of this recruiting class out of high school. If they just did high school recruiting and like three of those would not be division one guys. Yeah, and, and it, it's really tough. You know, I think Chris Rello at Spectrum, uh, he did a story. I think it, I think it came out today or, or last night during their show uh, about the offensive lineman from my oh gosh, I want to say Clearwater, who's going to Ole Miss. Ole like Miss. you're not, you're not you're not getting those guys to stay home. Like, I'm sorry. That's just not how this world works. All right. And the, the, the guy that actually stays from stays in Tampa from high school are the exception, not the rule. USF has historically done so much better at bringing these guys back to Tampa when they, you know, they go up North and they're like, Oh shit, it's really cold in December. It's really I don't like playing football in November like that Bills Patriots Monday night football game. Uh, real man, cool. real man football. Absolutely fucking not. No one wants to play football in that cold of weather where you really like the Patriots threw the ball three times because they couldn't throw the ball. Like no one wants to do that. No, like you, you hear. I think it was Damian Woody uh, who played for the Patriots for years and was a really good offensive lineman. He goes, no, cut that shit out. Nobody likes playing in the cold. It's like wrecking your body. It's like being in a car accident, but even worse. You feel like your bones are breaking every time you hit someone in that, those cold weather games. And it's, you know, it's a it's a, a lesson and experience that these guys have to learn. Like, oh man, you know, I had it really good back in, in Florida and in Tampa. And that's why you're seeing a lot of guys transfer out. And I think what you're seeing as well is the the big three of Florida, Florida State, Miami, they're not keeping their high you're not you're not keeping the blue chippers in the state of Florida anymore either. You've got Alabama, Clemson, Texas, uh, UNC, uh, USC is is coming in now with, with Lincoln Riley. All the bigger schools they're poaching the top talent from Florida. So now the guys that maybe would have thought about staying in Tampa, staying with you, are now well. Now I've got the opportunity because the the blue chippers aren't staying in Florida. I can be that guy at, at one of the big Florida schools. So it's all kind of a, a you know a sliding doors kind of thing where you've got to recalibrate your expectations. I played uh I went for a year I played in West Virginia and there was like three or four other Florida kids on the teams that were my buddies and it got in like the forties. And everyone up in West Virginia, this is football weather. My buddy came out to practice with a hoodie on under his pads and then sweatpants underneath his football pants. And it looked like a Clydesdale because the sweatpants would like bow out after the knee pad. It was not football weather. It was very cold. Like if I have to wear a scuba suit to stay warm during a football game, I don't want to do that. I don't know if you guys saw this, that Tom Brady always wore scuba suit. He wore a freaking scuba suit in cold weather games, passed it on to Brian Hoyer, who passed it on to Mac Jones. Like I don't want to wear a scuba suit 
in the winter when I'm not heard, in the water. Cutler talking, Jay Cutler was talking about that too. Got it from Brady. The the scuba suit. Like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't I don't want to do that. It's it is 10 p.m. on a Thursday. What Wednesday night in Florida mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. December and it's 72 degrees outside. Sign me up. That's football Wait, weather. That that is football weather. When it when it peaks at like 79, 80 degrees at, at noon or two o'clock in Florida in December, that's football weather. You can deal with that. A little nip in the air for playoff time and high school football. But that's it. Let's uh, let's let's play. I mean, there's a reason why Tom Brady's in Tampa now. I mean, he I mean, the weather's great. So, it, but for the the high school kids who have always been in Tampa, it's always going to be tougher to make them realize out of high school when you've got bigger names calling you to to just stay home. It's really tough, and I get it. Like you, you know, I I was thinking about this today on the way to work. Like I lived in Tampa. I went to USF. I didn't have the dorm room life. I just I lived at I lived at home. Right. And, and I always thought about, well, if I went somewhere else, I would have had a different college experience. And I think that's part of growing up. Maybe maybe it's just something I missed. Right. Not having that college experience of living in the dorm. Like I made one friend in college and I'm perfectly fine with that because I still talk to the friends I grew up with when I was like five. So I, I'm lucky in that re- that regard. So it, it's it's a way to. I don't know. It just get a different experience to get, to get a different point of view uh, as you're growing up as 17, 18 year old kids, you know, maybe, maybe your parents are, you, you really got you under your thumb and you want to get out of there for a little bit. It makes a lot of sense. You don't know all the situations, but you know, if I get it, it all makes sense. And so you got to walk to January workouts in the morning and it's, 10 degrees. Yeah. Then it makes a lot less sense. You're dressed as the little brother from a Christmas story. Like that's just not, it's not appealing. appealing, Right. So it's, it's tough. And, you know, looking back on this 2021 class, they brought in nine transfers from D one schools. Only two didn't contribute. Uh, Xander uh, Yarbrough never really made it to USF. And then Jamari Stewart, who has, subsequently transferred back out due to injury uh just never saw the field but uh to marcus gregory who is in the portal again uh he, he had i think nine or nine or eleven catches uh chair mangum we know what he did uh yusuf terry christian williams matthew hill and you know will jones would have been the starter if he hadn't torn his acl and thrown two players under the bus basically um so weird thing about the marcus gregory uh he wasn't on scholarship that's so that is so yeah. weird I was like, are we I mean, sure on that? So in in the in uh insider uh trade secret here, um usually commits that go on scholarship will get the like official commitment graphic and everything. Uh when they sign, that's how you can kind of tell who's like a walk on and who's, you know, really like, you know, who they're dedicating man hour to do those things. Um he didn't have one and we never kind of noticed because we weren't like we were just like, oh, that's cool. Four star Marcy were transferring all this. Like we were, you know, kind of starstruck at that. Uh yeah, it wasn't on scholarship. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like everyone else that we've seen transfer wise in this year has, you know, been on scholarship. So I think we're <laughs> I think we're set there. Um but yeah, it was very strange. And so I mean, and I've been trying I 
I, I gave up uh, trying to find out how many open spots they have left for this class. Because, fuck. I, I throw your hands up in the air, especially because they've had guys transfer out. Now you can sign 35 or 32 yeah, everyone or something that, like that. Everyone that goes out, they can, you can have another one coming back in, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and a few people have asked me, and they're like, oh, how many more do you think they're going to sign? And I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that right now they will sign now they just signed little john two more guys i think before early signing day i think they have two more scholarships open but i mean fuck (laughs) and then try to figure out who's the senior who's junior who's like their their classifications i I was talking with joe roback who does the the uh, ncaa preview um you know, uh, he was like, does anyone know, like, if schools are actually keeping track of classes? And I was like, I can tell you for damn certain USF isn't because their online roster and then their, like, depth chart had everyone with different classes. Like, there there was not a single... I mean, if you were a true freshman, you were a true freshman, but that was about it. Like, I think Andrew Mims was listed as a grad uh, student, but his online roster said he was a junior. <laughs> so... <laughs> Good luck to all those people who have to guess who's on the roster right now because I yeah. don't even know who's graduated from USF. Like, uh, I'll look at the roster on September third, and I'll be like, "Oh, he's okay. He's still on the roster. That's no. good. Good for him." Figure it's really at that spring ball. That's when you find out. Maybe <laughs> it only Maybe. took uh, until Bob Shoop got hired before they removed Glenn Spencer off the website. <laughs> it's like Indiana Jones. You had to. Take one old white guy out and replace him real quick with another. <laughs> yeah. Do they, they don't want, the, they don't want the boulder to come down. Uh, do they weigh about the same? I think so. They, I, honestly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, I was going to say something I shouldn't have put. What about? Um, oh, never mind. I'm not going to ask you to do an Indiana Jones impression. No, God, no. Other news. Yeah. Some other news uh, relevant to. USF football interest. There was a meeting. Was that yesterday, Steve? There was oh, a yeah. meeting. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I thought you were talking about uh, Brian Batie being an All-American in kick. Well, there's that, too. <laughs> that just dropped. Um, yeah, on campus, uh, they, they did the Board of Trustees meeting the other day. Uh, that was pretty neat. I got to listen to that. I felt like a real Andy Taylor six for a second there, uh, you know, trying to type out, you know, Twitter notes and everything like that. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they did a little, uh, Michael Kelly and Jay Stroman did a little, uh, little presentation on what they've done with the on-campus stadium and, and the plans and everything like that. Um, you know, to go along with the actual start of the construction of the indoor performance uh, facility, uh, which by the way, they waited until the season was done because um, they, the players needed to use the field to practice. So there was people, there was people that were upset that they waited to build it or to start building it. And I was like, you know, they still have to fucking practice during the season, right? Like they can't just, you know, be like, all right, it's time to start constructing. But um, where are the specialists going to practice if you take away the turf field? Just do the That's, exterior walls. Yeah, just start well, building that. If you guys up. practice on the inside. We'll just do the outside for. Um, just, just give us the walls. Just put up the walls by now. Uh, but if you haven't seen it already, um, or if you've been living under a rock, uh, a Twitter account name. What is it? The Live Oak. Uh, the yeah, Live oh, Oak USF. Absolutely, uh, straight up, absolutely clutch. Yesterday, while I was at work, uh, they put little snippets of uh, the Microsoft Teams call. Um, 
it's basically the meeting of uh, of the minds uh, for the, the board of trustees meeting. They put clips. So shout out to uh, the live Oak on that one. Absolutely uh, great job by them to, I don't even know who, if you know who they are, please let me know. So I can, I can shout them out properly because they were absolutely clutch uh, throughout yesterday morning and throughout the rest of the day, pr- providing uh, some, some of those sound bites and being able to, to watch it. I've searched for that link to the video cannot find it maybe i'm just really bad at googling it could be that but i could not find the full video that i've tried and tried to watch uh since yesterday could not find it so if anyone has that as well hit, hit my line open. hit my line um god i hope yeah. they're not open no i probably not you can probably you can probably tip nate though um ask him for the dms though uh but yeah live oak uh fantastic follow if you haven't already uh relatively new to the twitter scene have no idea who it is but they're doing a great job um he kind of gave like a the the snippets and summaries she they um but essentially uh michael kelly kind of presented where they're at in in the process of building that on-campus uh stadium and what they're wanting to do and what the board of trustees to do once they have the new president in the position this is a not priority number one, but basically like priority number two of the new president is to build this on campus stadium. And that was agreed upon by the board of trustees, which is massive to hear. Uh, Will Weatherford is doing a great job of, of, of headstronging that as well. Uh, the quick rundown is that they are putting together the committee to uh, basically compete to refresh the feasibility study, um, as well as create four subcommittees on uh, on different aspects of the project itself. So the the location and the price of it is one committee, the marketing and communications of it, um, the legal, and then I think the actual uh, a fundraising uh, subcommittee as well. Um, so they're going to basically, you know, project it all out, uh, get it, you know, nice and pretty and clean. And so when the new president is, you know, installed and, you know, signs, you know, her name uh, on the plaque or whatever they, they do to install a president. Uh, the second thing that they're going to sign is probably that on-campus stadium. Um, they have it set right now that they want it to begin uh, by June 30th, which is also the date that they want to finish the construction of the indoor performance facility. So that'll be neat if we can knock two birds out with one stone on that day. Um, and then ultimately, they listed five locations to build it. Um, four that were known, the uh, Fowler Fields um, near the track stadium, and then like I, I think in the north yeah. east part. Uh, the so, fifth one is the new one, uh, Nate. I think you're you're about to talk about that one. Yeah. So there, there's the the five locations, right? It's uh, the southwest corner of campus near Brisby Downs and, and Fowler, which is uh, what is that? I wish we had the map up. Like, I pull the map up. Oh, St- uh, Seth, could you pull up a map? So I believe it's kind of where the botanical gardens are. If mm-hmm. okay, so I want to make sure that I'm terrible with directions. So I just want to make sure that uh, is is there. Um, there's the intramural fields, which are right next to uh, JP, the JP residence halls, which I I played IMs never once that I play on those fields, so I get it. They look kind of run down and, and kind of shoddy. Uh, I did like the the other IM, IM fields, uh, the Sycamore fields. Um, then there's the, the Mosey site. I think it's sure you've got to you got to buy the land. You don't own the land. You got to keep the recycle source though. 
Yeah. Uh, so there's, you know, internal talks uh, within the Daily Stampede to turn the recycle source into a recyclable. You get it? Does this work? That works. Let's see if we can zoom in real quick. Uh, uh, that might be too much. No, it's perfect. Yeah. So kind of south southwest corner, kind of where the, the 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 Bruce B. Downs and Fowler area is, kind of by the botanical gardens, and then the I M fields next to uh, J P, which is kind of to the, I think it's right here. Um, to the somewhere around there. I'm so bad at this doing it, doing this live and in person. Um, but you guys, you guys get it. You guys know the campus. Uh, and then uh, the Fowler Fields, which uh, it's where they're, they have a lot of like uh, other IMs that go on there uh, as and well. The practices there. Yeah. So it, it, that's also an option. Uh, typically typically bands like big time bands have their own practice fields. Uh, they could just use a stadium, but it, it seems like they may have to find a new place to practice. Uh, and then the, the Sycamore fields, which is the nearest to the athletics district, which is where USF initially started practicing in 1996. Mm-hmm. So that's, those are the, those are the options um michael kelly was asked price tag because everything comes with a price tag and he estimated 250 million to 400 million dollars um where that money is coming from uh your guess is as good as mine i think they will be heavy 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 uh kickback and and uh pushback from students if they're asked to pay more to get the stadium built, I think this may have to be a privately funded through the, the through the foundation, uh, kind of bonded out and, and kind of do it that route instead of having students pay for it when they're already really subsidizing the athletic department already. So there is there is that. Hey, Connor, you're saying band could use the indoor practice facility. Absolutely, they could. Why not? Everyone can use it. They just got to make sure that the the timings and the practices don't uh, congeal. But yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they can go somewhere else. You can go practice the botanical gardens. I'm sure the the bees and the butterflies and whatever. I still have never been to the botanical gardens. I'll be perfectly honest. I've lived in Tampa for 26 years. I went to USF for four, never stepped foot near it. I couldn't even tell you where the entrance is. Are we sure it even exists? Schrodinger's Botanical Garden. <laughs> with, with regards to financing, I think the, the wizard is saying the debt is super cheap right now. Like debt, debt is really, really cheap. Yeah. So a good time to start uh, a project if you're looking to take on debt to finance it. Yep. You know, unfortunately, you know, USF doesn't have a hospital like the University of Miami where they can just absolutely bankroll everything uh, because they are just making money hand over fist during a pandemic. Um, so good bully for Miami to be able to fire Manny Diaz and get the Clemson AD and uh, Mario and really invest in their athletic department because they've uh, really crushed it over the last year. And <laughs> being so flippant about it is uh, the unmitigated gall 
for the reason why Miami is able to not be so cash strapped is the most Miami thing ever. If we're being perfectly honest, it, it really is in line with everything that they've stood for, for the last 40 years. That so, And them telling me them. not to ask Mario about the hiring process was just, oh, it was perfect. I was like, fantastic. if I'm media, I, that's the first thing I'm asking. <laughs> like, hey Mario, what was, uh, what was the first conversation? What about when was that happening at? <laughs> Would you say October before or after October 15th? <laughs> Oh Lordy! Oh man! Um, so, and Steve, as you mentioned, they—they're one of the committee's initial steps here. Uh, per per the meeting was they're going to be review and refresh the the feasibility study that was completed in 2018. Update that to to assess the the scope, cost, location, uh, everything, and you know. The $250 million is still really a lot of money. And, and, and that's on the cheaper side of things. I think, uh, I think the, the least you want to do is what Colorado state did um, in that stadium. I don't, I think that the big hiccup here for a lot of USF fans who have been, you know, they, they were only subjected to like one season of bleacher seating at, at Tampa stadium is that those seatbacks are, are vital. And I, I get the, the thought of, you know, a lot of colleges have these bleacher seatings and you just buy the little seatbacks and you have them there for the season ticket holders, or you can bring your own in. Um, you know, USF fans have been treated by royalty for, for 25 years at Ray J. Right. So it's, that's going to be the, the, where maybe some of the costs, prohibitive things kind of come in the suites are, are really nice at ray j you've got to be able to to do that um and, and you know are they going to bring a pirate ship in i don't know i like how much how much of a home field do you want to do you want to be in this new stadium do you need a pirate ship maybe just for for fun and maybe be able to actually fire off the cannons just because it's yours just now. once just once all I want. So it, it, there, there's a lot of moving pieces, um, and you know, the, the, there's four subcommittees for uh, the, the scope and budget, the the revenue and financing model, creating communication and marketing plans, and coordinating the, the, the related legal issues. And I think there may be some legal issues, uh, you know, kind of taking up the green. If it is the botanical gardens, taking up that green space, where are you going to put it? It's why the claw has survived for so long. It's because it's part of USF's green space. If they take away the claw and build apartments, they've got to replace that with something else. So where whereabouts on this USF footprint can you replace that that green space, that greenery? Um, so that's an, another hurdle that you need to be able to, to jump through. I know there's been talks about you know moving the claw or building apartments there. I think it's, I think it's kind of still in the process of figuring that out as well. So it's all of these legal hurdles that, that you'll have to deal with um, as part of building a, a stadium. And uh, here on this blog, we were very, very strong uh, detractors of building an on-campus stadium before we got an indoor facility. And now that that first hurdle has been, set I, I completely understand why the next thing all right let's get the on-campus stadium 
but let's do let's do the first thing right because if you don't do the the indoor facility right you know if you have a 90 yard field for some reason you know some school you know in florida maybe wanted to just do a 90 yard field instead of uh, the the full one uh, i don't know why any sec school would ever do that for any reason whatsoever but they did you want to make sure you do that correctly and i think they will and then the next step is the ocs and um it's the it's the right it's the next right step i don't think it solves the attendance issues you see the attendance at men's basketball at the yingling center you have to have a good product for people to show up even if you're 100 yards away so uh, this is not a build it and they will come thing this is a build it and it'll help you it'll help it'll help your on-field product i assume I, I would think that football is a little bit more of a on campus in the South is probably your bigger draw, right? Traditionally than bat. So even, even without, um, but I, I think they would, you'd obviously want better uh, play on the field. So it, it seems like this is the right time, even like uh, just financially, it seems like a good time to be doing. It. If you are, in, if you are, I'm not an economist, but I think if you're, if you are expecting any type of inflation, you'd rather be in assets than cash during inflationary times because your payments are basically less because the dollar's worth less. So um, could be an interesting time to do some big projects and stuff like that. Go get some debt. It's cheap, build some stuff. And then I think the other part of it is just on the financial side is Michael Kelly said during the um, board of trustees meeting, just the difference in guarantee revenue sharing guarantee. Mm-hmm. 20 million bucks, I think he said is the lowest. So, you know, that if you can make up that, if this stadium helps you get to that level, then you start to make up that diff, the, you, you, the stadium starts to pay for itself within, you know, potentially a, a decade or so. Just be, just if you've, if that stadium helped you get into one of those bigger guarantee conferences, right? So right. there's that too. That's the other side of it. So it seems to be a really, really good time to be exploring this. And they seem to, I think they've got some smart people um, at leading this charge. So it certainly seems now that it's really, would you guys agree that it's a lot more now really a matter of when and not a matter of if, or do you guys still think it's a matter of if? I don't even think there's an if at this point. I think it's a win, especially with how adamant it seems that way, right? The board of trustees has been because normally in years past, it's been like, uh, oh yeah, like put together a presentation and we'll kind of see what it looks like at the end of the day for you guys. You know, thanks for stopping by, Michael Kelly or Mark Harlan or whoever, and just you know, fuck off and go back to being a bad football team. I think now you're kind of seeing, you know, in into you know, point at the elephant in the room for UCF to be chosen uh, to go to the big 12 over USF, you know, kind of probably put up a wake up call for most of these board of trustee members, because now you're realizing that that's, that's money left on the table that, you know, with proper investing done in the past, you know, pays its dividends. And these guys are businessmen. They know how these ROIs work, especially when it comes to collegiate football. You know, you put you put together uh, a strong enough program. You don't even have to have a winning team. You can just have a good enough team with an on-campus stadium and investment into your football facility, and then boom, you get a new, brand new TV deal with much more money coming in for athletics, and you have more flexibility for the board of trustees to 
basically spend more money and do more fun things that the school needs to have happen. And you can kind of lean into uh, more, you know, not just athletic adventures, but academic adventures as well. So I think that this was kind of done, like, I hate to say it, this was done because they needed to do it. They, uh, Will Weatherford or whoever else in the board of trustees probably felt very embarrassed that USF was not included in the Big 12 expansion. And this is them saying, all right, you know, we, we fucked up here's how we're fixing it. And that's the biggest consolation prize I could ever get is them, them acknowledging the mistake. Actually, they didn't even acknowledge the mistake. Them at least try to fix the mistake. Right. And I, I think what you're seeing, I think that the head of the presidential search committee, Mike Griffin, uh, he throws uh, one of the best football tailgates that I've ever been to. Uh, he knows the importance of athletics and that really helps that this search committee is more athletic centric than probably ever and i think you're gonna see a president who puts uh you know athletics not at not as the top priority uh, don't get it twisted usf still has aspirations to be an aau school which will open other conference doors you know if it's not the big 12 if it's not the acc i know the big 10 are pretty adamant and if you're joining this conference you need to be an aau school I, i'm not i think big 10 is obviously a pipe dream but they still want to go in that that step. And I, I think just putting athletics maybe closer to uh, where academics is compared to where it was under Judy Genschaft. And I, I mean, you wasted a year and a half with Steve Carell. Let's be, let's be real here. Um, Carell. So that's just get them closer. Uh, a, you uh, Jack Dong. It's uh, the, was it the American Mr. Dong? Ac- it's like the, academic american. Uh, american academic university whatever it, it's like the these top tier research the american institutes. association of universities this, sure let's go with that yeah it's we're we're good academic it's like basically saying we're one of the top academic research institutions right. in the country it's a very stringent uh membership uh that the school is going for and for example and it, it, it pays its dividends elsewhere because the big 10 only accept schools that are in AAU status. They don't like you to join the Big Ten. You got to be good. You got to invest in your athletics, and you got to be investing in your academics. That's why they took Rutgers Association of American Universities. Only sixty-four members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and in the United States, you the the first step was to become preeminent, and that's what USF did. The next step is AAU status, and I assure you that's still one of their top goals. Just bringing athletics closer to one of their top goals is going to prove vital. I mean, you see it right now, getting the, the football facility upgraded with a $20 million uh, upgrade, getting the indoor facility started, actually having – you know, timelines for an on-campus stadium and Seth to your question earlier, is it if, or when it's, it's a, when, when this was announced, I was told butts and seats, 2026, Michael Kelly yesterday said the aggressive timeline is 2026 more realistic 2027. And that is perfectly fine. It's in line with what I've heard since September, what fifth, this is a, this is a, when thing uh, now. And I, USF really does like to play their cards close to their chest a lot of the time. So the, the radio silence, uh, 
wasn't taken lightly by a lot of people who, you know, thought it was a PR tactic. And I get it. You go basically, what, three months without saying a word about it or, you know, just cryptic stuff. It's tough for the common USF fan who has been burned in the past to be like, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to do this when there's been nothing. But I think this administration, uh, interim president Real Law has done a phenomenal job kind of being at the forefront of this. I don't think she she has said that she doesn't want the job, but she's done a hell of a job kind of steering USF toward this next president, whoever it is, and has really been a proponent for athletics as well. And then Michael Kelly, obviously, and Jeff Scott, obviously really pushing this forward as well as the board of trustees, having those people who care about athletics. Will Weatherford, you know, played high school football, played college football. He played at JU, right? I don't know. His, is his brother Drew Weatherford? It is. Played at Florida State, so football family. I think they went to Lando Lakes. I think all of them went to Lando Lakes, if I'm not mistaken. Lando Lakes Gators. Yeah. So just having those people who care about athletics while also maintaining the, the AAU status or getting to the AAU status is going to be vital. So it, it's it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, I, I definitely understand why people were a little hesitant and skeptical about uh, maybe this is just kind of trying to distract from what happened at NC state, what, you know, happened like two weeks prior. I mean, it, it was a confluence of events that, uh, you know, really made people skeptical about, about this. Uh, but it seems like everything's kind of heading in the right direction. Uh, and, you know, on to bigger and better things, right? Um, is there any final thoughts? You know, I'll open it up to to the chat. Is there anything that we haven't discussed tonight? I know we. I said a nice tight hour before we went live, and here we are, uh, an hour sixteen minutes later. Every um, time you say to keep it with one hour, we go well past. A lot, know, of, a, lot of, a lot of news. There, it was a lot of news. Um. Jack, don't. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> I've Steve, suffered enough this year. <laughs> Steve is a Jags fan, so could you imagine my weekend going from to that Tulane game to the Jags just absolutely just laying a fucking egg against uh, the Falcons? That was great. <laughs> was, it, was, it, was it unexpected? No. Well, the USF one was uh, the, the. I mean, I was like, oh, just cover Kyle Pitts, you'll be fine, and then they didn't. <laughs> None they didn't. Made Matt Ryan look like a fucking Super Bowl MVP again. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's it. We'll have, uh, we're trying to figure out logistics for next week. Do we want to do the primer the, the day before, the day of? Maybe, maybe we'll do the day of. We'll, I'll, I'll talk with my, my colleagues here, see what the hive mind thinks. Um, but yeah, I mean, exhilarating stuff. It's exciting to talk about some positive things for a change. I know, uh, you know, it's really out of the hate blogs norm. I hope this wasn't, um, you know, too drunk frat guy for you guys. Uh, but, you know, I hope we were informative um, and shared some some things. Ooh, Daniel Chapman coming in, buzzer. Steger, great question. This so the the Tulane tight end commit that we're referencing here is uh, DeCarlo Donaldson. He's from Gulliver Prep. Um, that is the same um, school that uh, Gabe Neely came from. Um, to put this lightly, uh, Jeff Scott, Bob Shoup, Xavier Die, 
and Charlie Weiss Jr. were all at um, Donaldson's house this evening, visiting him um, uh, a week before early signing day. Uh, I believe he's going on a visit to West Virginia uh, this weekend as well. So I believe so. So they're putting a full court press on him. I know we just got uh, Jason Littlejohn from College of the Sequoias as a tight end, uh, but I think they're looking for another tight end. They're really looking at uh, Donaldson. Um, I don't think USF puts a full court press on someone unless they really, really think that they're going to get him. Is he so, too big for receiver? Because I've seen him listed receiver as well. He's kind of like the – he's your he, – I mean, he's he like kind a of – no, he's more like a Tyree McCants to be honest. He's okay. a little bit of a thick boy. Thick uh, <laughs> I love my I love my double C thick boys. Yeah, he's he's a little thick boy. So I I mean, if you want to chances, I'd say like I'd <laughs> chances that we flip him. I would probably say like forty percent right now. Uh, I think forty percent that he goes to USF, sixty percent he goes to Tulane. Um, Willie Fritz is working his magic on him. Um, so that I mean, that'd be a huge recruiting win. That would skyrocket uh, our high school uh, recruiting class, which is uh, looks weird because we took two JUCO guys and a prep school guy, so it's gonna look weird. Um, but that's a guy that I think uh, we could kind of hang our hat on as well as well as Eddie Kelly this year. So I'd say forty percent right now. That could change by tomorrow. That's the crystal crystal Steve crystal ball. Forty percent. Forty percent. If it's uh. If it gets to eighty percent, um, I, 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 you know, go ahead and pre-write it. But I haven't pre-written it yet. <laughs> we didn't, you didn't talk about it earlier, Stieg. Talk about this, Brian Petit, All American. Yes, the recognition he so rightfully deserves. Uh, thank you to Two Four Seven Sports. I don't know who does those All American ballots or anything like that, but yeah, Brian Petit listed as second team All American for kick returning. Um, first team All American. I can. I don't remember who it is because it wasn't Marcus Jones. Marcus Jones got like first team, like all, uh, like all purpose charge or something like that. Yeah. Something weird, but um, yeah, second team All American. Which I don't remember the last. Did we? When was the last time we had an All American listed anywhere? Mm, I mean, it's probably Marlon Mack, Quint Flowers, maybe it, Rod Rodney or MVS, twenty seventeen. I would assume. I don't know because it's, it's been a while since we've had an All American honoree in anything. You're right. You're right. So it's like that's big nine four one area code guys, man. <laughs> Me, Marlon uh, Mag, Brian Batie, we're all just super explosive, built right. different. That's right. Built and I mean different with it with an you know a Timmy McLean led offense next year. You know you've got so many speed guys coming in between like Caffrey Brown, Brian Batie. You know, you get a guy like Michael Dukes in the slot. Let's give those guys you, a lot of touches. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to do these complex, you know, RPO developing plays or anything like that. You just got to find a way to get the ball in their hands one-on-one because yes. I, guarantee, I guarantee that starting five, you know, of Batie, Horn, Weaver, uh, Brown, and I can't remember the fifth one because I've said it too quickly, but I guarantee that starting five skill player set could probably be 90% of the American one-on-one. Yeah. I think one thing, if they're not going to just think about next year, I think we talked about option stuff would be interesting if they add like elements, but also getting these backs out in routes more often and not just like flare routes or, or you know, getting them matched up one-on-one with linebackers and giving them space to work. 
with option routes and angle routes and stuff like that and let them catch the ball on the run. I, I think you could you could have something there. But I, there's stuff that needs to be added to the offense. But hopefully second year of a quarterback, you add that. And then guys like mm-hmm. Brian Petit can show those all-American skills – you know, on offense and they get more touches. So absolutely. I I think you've seen more recently over the last couple of years of the halfback angle route has been absolutely killer against defenses. Uh, I think that's just another thing that you can add to this offensive repertoire because you've got the backs and talent to do so. Uh, All of them have great feet. And I think it starts with having good feet at the running back position, running those kind of routes. I think they'll all kind of be natural in, in in that regard. And they're all quick enough to, you know, burst a, you know, eight yard gain into a 20 yard gain. Uh, So it's going to be, I think you, I think you'll see more wrinkles as we head into 2022, Lord willing, uh, Charlie Weiss, uh, you know, doesn't abandon something if it doesn't work one time. I think that's been his issue. And uh, we've talked about that at nauseum, but uh, as we wrap up here again, shout out to Brian Batie, second team, all American. Uh, there was one more question. I don't know if oh, and yeah. you can tell me if this would be better addressed next week, but uh, asked a couple of times, how many of these guys transferring in, like who do you think are going to be the biggest impact guys? And maybe who's coming in probably to start right away. Short, short. Let's do short answer, and we'll expand. We'll expand on it next week. Uh, next or week after they're in officially. Yeah, uh, all of them. Yeah, all of them are coming in to take spots. Yeah, there you go. All of them. All, all of them. them. Um, for for Seth. Stieg, Nathan, this has been another uh, episode of the Bloom Naughty Podcast, probably presented by Homefield Apparel. Make sure you guys go to homefieldapparel.com. Uh, 15% off for first-time users with the code Daily Stampede. Again, that's Daily Stampede, and it works site-wide. They've got six different U- USF shirts. Uh very comfortable. It's the most comfortable shirts I've ever worn. Uh, Samantha continues to steal them. Uh, Steve, you're now living with your girlfriend. She is going to be stealing your shirts if she hasn't started already, and they will be heavily in the rotation, uh, which is unfortunate for us, especially for me because Samantha has the per, she has the tendency to spill things on shirts wow. uh, frequently. Uh, she is a very clumsy woman, but I love her. So, you know, sometimes my shirts will come back stained and I just have to kind of sit and live with it. But I mean, look at those shirts, beautiful shirts. The, the script bulls is fantastic. Uh, I've got the, the classic USF, uh, writing and the gray one. And then also the robo bull, of course. The, the hoodie's fantastic. Uh, again, 15% off your order when for first-time users site-wide when you use the promo code Daily Stampede. Get your orders in now for Christmas. It, it, it's probably a little too late for them to show up, but hey, New Year's gift is still a gift, guys. That's right. And maybe That's if we buy enough, there might be a second launch. Maybe. Maybe. But again, shout out to Homefield for for hooking us up. Uh, it's been a fun episode. Uh, you know, I my Wi-Fi hasn't crapped out yet. Uh, so let's let's end it on a high note for 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 Seth for Stieg. Uh, this is Nathan signing off with another great episode of the Blue Naughty Podcast. Go Bulls! Be safe. Go Bulls! Go Bulls!